Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the inner life from Genesis chapter 2. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Lord, sin has destroyed so much, Lord, in our lives. And we know this morning, Lord, that you're the great restorer. And so we come to you this morning, Lord, and we we pray that you would take away sin in our hearts and restore to us that which sin has destroyed in us as we study and look more at our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read again those last few wonderful verses, starting at verse 15 of the chapter. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, we saw as we've been studying here that as we moved in this account of creation from the first chapter of Genesis to the second chapter, that the focus has become more and more zeroed down to relationships. That's the issue here, relationships. And we're going to see, as, as we've already begun to see, three very important relationships emerge that come right out of this chapter, chapter 2. First and most important relationship is the relationship between God and man, or between Adam and man. And the second relationship is very important, so that would be first one is the upwards relationship between man and God. And the second one's the sideways relationship between a man and his wife. And the third relationship is the downward between man and animals. Now, the relationship, the first one, the most important, between man and God is very important. Because why? As we've said before, God has created man with a deep capacity for God. A deep, a deep, a deep well, if you want to think of it that way, a deep ability for God. And that's the way we've been created. And that means that when we have God in our lives, that we have a deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, and everything just seems so right. But it also means that when we don't have God in our lives, that we have an equally deep sense of dissatisfaction, of emptiness, and this yearning, this just strong yearning this looking for meaning and purpose in our lives. What am I here for? 
And it's that emptiness, it's that strong yearning that drives us into one of two ways. Either into this hopeless search in the world and in ourselves and in others, anybody but God, a search for the fulfillment, or the other direction, it drives us into a wonderful search for God, because he promises if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And that, that, that's the good one. Now, turn to John chapter 6, verse 35. Let's look at this issue here. John 6, 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never what? Hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. All right, now, what two words does the Lord Jesus Christ use to describe life without God? Thirst and hunger. That's the two words that he uses. That's a description of a person without God. That's a description of a life without God. Hunger and thirst. A hungering and a thirst. It shows he understands perfectly man's emptiness. He understands why man yearns. You know, we have coyotes in a canyon that sometimes, especially during mating system, they, they can yearn. They howl. They howl, and that's like us. And you and I, we yearn. And God made us that way. He made us to yearn. And we yearn from this state of emptiness, from this need. We yearn because we've got a big, great, big, giant hole in our hearts. That's the reason. That's the issue there. According to this verse... What are we yearning for? Life. We yearn for life. You know, Mike Hainer, you you all know Mike Hainer, and he's battling stomach cancer, struggling to stay alive, and his last day at the hospital, you know, they give him one of those customer satisfaction forms for him to fill out. Anyway, how did you like your stay in the hospital forms? And, uh, And one of the questions was, what do you want most from your stay at a hospital? You know what he wrote down? Life. That's what I want. Life. Mike is a picture of what we all want. Not just physical life, but inner life. We want a great inner life. We want an inner life. And according to Genesis 2-7, how did man get his original life? God breathed. God breathed into him the Spirit of God. So the inner life comes from a relationship with God. It comes from God. It's the person of God who breathed into Adam, and so that's a picture of relationship, and then all of a sudden he's alive. And that's why it's so simply put in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And that's that's what it means. If a person has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, he has life. And by the same token, if a person does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's all about life. It's life, life, life. John chapter 17, verse 3. You're in, John. And here we have a wonderful, simple description of the whole issue of life. And it's a definition verse. It says, and... This is life eternal. So life eternal equals that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is eternal life according to this verse? 
That's right, to know Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. And so man starts off in Genesis 2-7 with this relationship. God breathed into him his spirit. He has life because he has the relationship. And 10 verses later in Genesis 2-17, man is warned. And he says, Adam, if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll just call it the forbidden tree. If you eat of the forbidden tree, he says, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And people read that verse and they say, well, he didn't die. So did it really mean on the day and the very day? He said on the day and the day. See, he died because the inner life died, because the relationship was broken, because, because there was a relationship broken, therefore the inner life died. And so therefore all the emptiness started, the shame, as we're going to see later, the running away from God. And so that's it. And that's why this verse is so important in John 6.35 that we've been showing because it's the solution to the problem of no life or lost life. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, what is he says? I am the bread of life. It's himself. It's him. It's not a new religion. It's not a new church or denomination. It's not a new baptism. It's not a new set of this do and live. It's a relationship. It's a new relationship is what he's talking about here. That's why he says, I am the bread of life, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through knowing him that life comes to the soul. It's through knowing him that satisfaction comes in that state of no life. It's solved. He knows what we're feeling, as we said. He understands the feeling of hunger for just simple life, hunger for life. He understands that, and he says, I'm the bread of life. Now, some Jewish people say, well, if this is true, then why doesn't the rabbinate come to that conclusion? Or why doesn't our synagogue believe that way? Or why don't our rabbis tell us that? Well, the answer, when you look at John 6.35, is that this, is, this verse and what he said is not addressing a rabbinate or a congregation, but who is this verse addressing? He. See? He. He that cometh to me. He that believeth on me. That's the key word. Because that's the word that says that he's addressing the individual. The individual. This person and that person and this person and that person. He that cometh to me shall never. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, All right, let's ask another question. So you're coming, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you want this life, you come to John 6.35, and now the question is, what do I do to get the eternal life, to get the inner life? How do I get this inner life? How does a person get it? You come. You come to him. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, he that cometh to me, cometh to me. It's all about him. Come to him how? As the great creator of Genesis 2. Come to him as the great repairer that we're going to see in Genesis 3. And what's his promise? His promise is, he says, I promise you, you will never hunger, you'll never experience that anymore. So this is the first and primary relationship of Genesis 2. Very, very important, the relationship between God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a good way to start off the day. You can try this tomorrow if you want. When you've just, when you wake up in the morning, see if you can remember this. I don't know if you can remember this when you first wake up, but try. 
When you first wake up in the morning and you're in your bed and you just, before you even open your eyes, and you just, you woke up, or right after you open your eyes, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, before you get out of bed, just throw the covers back and look up to the ceiling, stretch yourself out on the bed there and pray silently to God. Just say something like this. Oh God, here I am this morning. This bed is an altar. My body is the whole burnt morning sacrifice. Right here, Lord. And just like you told Israel that every morning they were to offer a whole burnt offering every morning, that's me. I'm the whole burnt offering. Would you please take your property this morning? Take me as your offering this morning. Claim your property. Take my heart, take my thoughts, take my mind, take everything of me for this day and fill me with yourself. Try that. Try that. Because that establishes in the morning that very important relationship of God first. So Adam had this relationship with God before he even had his relationship with his wife. As a matter of fact, he even had his job from God before he had the relationship with God, with his wife. So in so many relationships and marriages, they end in disaster because people, they look to a love relationship between humans to fill this deep yearning in the life. And only God can fill that. And no matter how wonderful a relationship is, might be between a man and a woman, it can never replace the relationship between God and man. It can never satisfy, God says, the deep yearning. It can't take away that hunger and that thirst. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can. Tom, today you talked about an inner life. How does a person know if he has an inner life? Yeah, this is a very, very good question because, you know, so much emphasis today is put on the one-time praying of the or repeating of the sinner's prayer. But really, that's supposed to be the beginning of life. And so just because a person raises their hand, walks down an aisle, repeats a prayer after a person or, or prays, just because a person does that, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was the start of life. So it's a very, very good question to ask, how does a person know if he has this inner life? Let's take a look at it in the scriptures. Well, first of all, we're going to turn for our first help to 1 John 5, 11 through 12. And this scripture says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. That's referring to the inner life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So what we learned from right away is that this life is all about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first question to ask, is my life oriented around the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the life is in his son. The life is coming from his son. Not just a one time, but a continual flow of life. So if we have the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, I am yours and thou art mine, and you have this assurance in your heart, then you have life. 
That's what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you only have, and you say, I have church membership, I read the Bible every day, I come from a good family, I live a good, clean life, but you can't really say, I have the Lord Jesus Christ living in my heart, then you have a good reason to doubt whether or not you have life. So it's a case of having the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life, or not having the Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Next, let's look at Psalm 27.1. This is where David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here, what David is speaking about is that the Lord Jesus Christ is his light. If you can say that the Lord Jesus Christ is my light, in other words, I open the New Testament and I read what the Lord Jesus Christ said, and his words have become for me the light of my life. I believe them. I'm guided by them. Then what he said is my light. That's an evidence of the inner life inside. In other words, the Lord in his words is my light for my personal life and my salvation. So if you were to ask, if you were to answer the question honestly, and that is, how are you going to get to heaven? When you, if you were to die and God was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? If you honestly can confess with your heart, you can say, I, because God, you are my salvation, because I believe, because you promised that you died for my sins. I accepted your invitation with all of my heart. You died for my sins. You are my salvation. That's an evidence of the inner life. And that knowledge that the Lord is your light, that the Lord is your salvation, should take away fear. It's not to say that we are not plagued with fear. It's not to say that we're never afraid, but the thoughts that the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, should make fear subside, should give you strength of life, should make it so that you're not so afraid. That's an evidence of the inner life. Uh, Romans 6.11, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you read the Bible, and you read about God, and you hear God speaking to you, you are alive unto God. That's an evidence of the inner life. When you come away from reading your Bible or hearing a message as on the Bible, and you say to yourself, I've got something wonderful. I'm thinking about it. It's become like a little secret treasure that I'm holding in my heart. That's an evidence that you have the inner life. In Psalm 119, verse 174, David said, I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. If you long for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you long for him to come and save you out of your uh, body of your death, out of the sin of this world, that's an evidence of the inner life. If God's law, if God's word is your delight, if when you open the Bible, it's interesting to you, it captivates you, you're drawn to it, you want to read more, you want to hold on to it. When you go and hear messages about the word of God or Bible studies, and that's interesting to you. It captivates your heart. Those are all evidences of the inner life. 
in Psalm 1 verse 2 is describing a person who has the inner life, and he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you feed yourself, if you feed your inner self with the word of God, and you find that the Word of God is becoming delightful to you, that you remember these verses that you read read before, that you remember the thoughts that you had toward them and about them, and they become delightful to you, and you find yourself thinking about the Word of God and thinking about those delightful thoughts throughout the day throughout the night. When you put your head on your pillow, you're thinking about what God said in his word. When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about what God said in his word. Now, of course, this takes feeding. If you spend all your time in front of the television, it's not going to happen. But if you take the time, if you take the time to discipline and feed yourself just like it takes some work to prepare a meal, to feed yourself. So if you take time to sit down and have Bible studies and study the Word of God for yourself and read it and ask the questions, why did God say this? Why did he not say that? What did he mean by that? Oh, that reminds me. It goes parallel with something else I've read in in the Word of God before. Let me look that up. I think I wrote that down as a little note. Let me try to find that note and see what it says. I heard that the other day on the radio in church as I was reading a book. I made a note of that. And you start to let your mind be occupied with these things. You know, you have to realize that we are in a world in which the world is also grabbing for your mind space. There's a limited amount of real estate in your mind, and there's a competition for who will occupy the real estate of your mind. The Bible says, in fact, Philip's translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It says that, and be not conformed unto this world. He translates it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And the world has a lot molds that it wants to squeeze you into. The world wants to get you oh so occupied with this particular TV program or that particular movie. And if you find yourself thinking about it, the world is squeezing you into its mold. If you find yourself occupied with things that are not Bible-based, that are not the Word of God, then you realize that you have competition for your real estate. But if you take the time and you say, you know what, I'm going to evict all of the trespassers off of the private property of my mind. And I'm going to make sure that the word of God is planted on the real estate of my mind. I'm going to make sure that the Lord God is the center of the limited real estate in my mind. Then what will happen is you'll find yourself delighting. You'll find the delight coming naturally, or I should put it this way, if the delight comes naturally after you go through that discipline, then that's an evidence that you have the inner life. But you see, to delight yourself in the Lord is also a command, because God says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Sometimes it doesn't come natural for us to delight ourselves in the Lord. It's a little bit of a strange new diet, for especially if we've just become born again, just become saved. And so God says, if you continue to eat 
this Bible, if you continue to feast yourself on the Word of God, you know what? You will want it. You will miss it. You will desire it. You will delight in it. See, there goes through that step. And as you come to the highest step of delighting, that means that you'll want to return. Why? Because you've fed yourself on it. Because you have trained yourself to eat it. Because you've said with the children of Israel, every day, all I have to eat out here is manna. I better get used to it and I better like it because they didn't know. But it was going to be 40 years of the same diet. And gradually they did, same way with the Word of God. That's what it means to have the inner life. Friend, if you have this inner life and your heart is broken broken for the people who brought you this inner life, but who do not have this inner life, I'm speaking of the Jewish people, if you would like to be a part of God's great call to bring the gospel to the least of those his brethren, the Jewish people, who are lost, who are going right down the middle of the road to hell because they do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would like to do this in Southern California, in Los Angeles, Orange County, Riverside, San Diego. We have a job for you. We have a full-time paid position for you to go door to door to the Jewish people. Won't you heed God's call? Won't you say, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me to your people. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues our message series from Genesis. Now, as you heard Tom Cantor speak about today, Israel Restoration Ministries is looking for full-time carriers to take the gospel to the Jewish people in Southern California. If you're interested in going door-to-door to reach lost Jewish people, contact us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051 if you've got a heart to reach God's lost nation of people. Now, if you'd like more information or resources about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministry, books, videos, or materials, call us at 1-800-247-3051 or go to israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.